All right, Robert, you ready? Hit it. This gets me fired up right here. Mm. It's the heart pump. The blood flow. Ladies and gentlemen, hailing from Concord, North Carolina, in the blue corner, is your opponent tonight. Weighing in at 237 pounds of twisted steel and apologetics appeal, Robert Rain Man Mayfield! Now, coming to the blue corner, he's so radical in evangelism, he's so radical in apologetics, he will do exegesis throughout the scripture, Jesse the Radical Watkins! Well, good morning, Gospel Defenders. Today is December 22nd. We're three days from Christmas. Robert, you fired up? Oh, man, I'm so ready. So ready just to uh, celebrate with family and friends as we talk about the Savior that was born unto us. Amen. We're going to start today with some scripture from Luke chapter 2. Probably my favorite place to read about the nativity. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says this. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. I'm not sure what gets me in a better mood, whether it's this scripture or the Peanuts theme song in the background. Mm. I'm going to go with the scripture, probably. The scripture is amazing. You can never go wrong with the scripture. Always just busting out with joy. Uh, but do you know that in the Peanuts episode, the uh, Christmas special, that they actually read this passage in it? Are you serious? Yes, it's one of the, I mean, one of our family traditions that we like to do is the uh, Snoopy's uh, Peanuts Christmas special. Right. And it's because during their play that they... Uh, they read the Christmas story. <laughs> you got this look on my face today, or look on your face, looking at my face. Is it because I trimmed my beard? I think that's what it is. Oh, man. I see the curvature of your God-given shape mm. a little more. Well, you know, I had to uh, get rid of the lumberjack look and uh, trim up for Christmas, you know, sailor's well, first Christmas. Well, you went trimmed. I'm coming back. You're coming back, yes. Yeah, so we starting, took Christmas pictures, so I'm coming back now. Starting to roll out. Uh, we're going to be doing ours and uh, taking some pictures since it's uh, sailor's first Christmas. Oh, I'm super awesome, excited man. to celebrate that and just uh, the blessing that she is that God has uh, given given her to us. So, One day you'll have to tell us all about the meaning of the name Sailor. Yes. We'll go into that. But... Uh, Let's uh, let's start. Let's let's talk for a moment about the objective of the Gospel Defenders uh, podcast that we're doing. Um, I think we kind of birthed this idea because you and I both love apologetics. Yep. We love uh, not only preaching the scriptures, but discussing and dialoguing and and being prepared to engage in conversation. Or, or when we say argument, we don't mean like you know some sort of. Uh, angry type of argument. We mean a logical, um, constructed defense of the faith so that we know what, number one, the scriptures are saying, but what our faith really means. And that's one of the things as we go through these podcasts we're trying to do is to equip Christians uh, to defend the faith, whether it be to a Jew which today will be very valuable yep. to a Muslim, to an agnostic, an atheist, a relative, uh, on and on and on. We want to give them that solid biblical foundation. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing is anytime you're ever witnessing to somebody, you always come from a place of grace. You never forget what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 talk about, that we all were dead in our sins and trespasses, that we were, we were following the, uh, the prince of this world, you know, following him because we were dead in sin, but Christ has made us alive. And so anytime you get prepared and go to witness somebody, don't let it come into an, an argument, but let it come out of a place of grace, uh, knowing where you were at, and it's only by him that we're saved anyway. So uh, when you have that mindset, when you're studying the scriptures, studying different topics, your evangelism will be a hundred times better coming from a place of grace than an argumentative 
and not being humble at all. So. Right. Um, and, and I think it just takes time, you know. Um, I think a lot of Christians don't get into really the confidence of being able to defend their faith in the mm. workplace or, in the, uh, you know, with neighbors or engaging with people of a, another persuasion because they think, man, it's just, you know, it's just such a big book. The Bible has so many things to say. I don't know where to start. But uh, you just start at one place at a time. It's like, you know, going to the gym. I mean, no one goes to the gym and starts bench pressing 300 pounds. I mean, maybe maybe you do. <laughs> well, But I can remember when I was like a junior in high school, the first time I got 135, and I had been in weight training for three years already. You know what I mean? Right. It's little by little by little. So that's, that's kind of where we're starting small. And, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, we have a, a Facebook page right now. It's called Gospel Defenders. Um, you can come on there and post your comments. You can uh, ask, ask, question, ask questions and stuff like that. That would be a tremendous blessing to have people just comment in, give questions, topics, something that you would, you know, maybe you're discussing with somebody at work and you're like, hey, how do you witness to this Muslim or a Jew or um, talk about science in the Bible? Stuff right. like that. So. Right. So uh, we may change the name of that to Gospel Defenders Radio so they know that this is for the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if there's some other Facebook pages that say Gospel Defenders. But anyway, let's get into some announcements for today. Um, do you want to share about the Christmas musical? Oh, man. So this Wednesday, super excited about our Christmas special that we have, the Christmas musical, which will be telling the gospel by using, guess what, superheroes. Superheroes, song, yep. children's drama. Mm-hmm. Um, Kids even, got a, uh, a special with the bells. They're going to be playing some Christmas songs with. Handbells. Um, so super excited about that. Um, I mean, imagine that, having uh, Superman be able to tell the gospel and uh, with all the other characters coming along with it. So the youth is going to be putting that on. A lot of the youth is going to be in it. Yep. So And then uh, the choir has practiced so hard. They got some they great songs. Um, good leadership, by the way. Good leading well, on the on the choir, and uh, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> next announcement. <laughs> no, they're doing awesome. They man. are they doing have good. So hard. They're doing really good. Um, next thing we want to talk about, and this is still kind of in the works. Some uh, dialoguing with Pastor Dave about next Wednesday, the thirtieth of this month, having a night of worship. I was mm. actually going to ask you, since we're right here, maybe getting some of the youth uh, praise band to do some songs. Uh, our adult praise band to do some songs, having the youth together, the adults together. You know, it's almost the end of the year, just concluding with the night of prayer and worship. Um, oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, I think we could definitely get some youth for that. Maybe so. even bring all our children in here. I mean, my daughter loves singing worship songs. My son, you know, he's three years old. He would he would enjoy that. They just love singing. Singing is one of the things in the uh, church services where I think, you know, children are always engaged. So if people are in the Concord area, want to come out to Friendship uh, Southern Baptist Church, join yep. us for the uh, night of worship on the 30th. 645 to, you know, probably about an hour of worship or so. If it goes a little bit longer, that's cool. Hey, we'll praise the Lord. Prayer so. time and stuff like that. The last thing I want to talk about is the, uh, the one-year Bible that we have um, discussed from the pulpit. We made some advertisements. We had about 17 people sign up to uh, receive the one-year Bible. They are, I believe, $30 a piece. Oh, wow. And we actually got the complete shipment in, so those are ready to distribute. And what this is, is this is a a Bible that is not organized like Old Testament, New Testament. It's organized by day. So, mm. like, say, for example, January 1st, it's going to have the name of the day at the top, and then it's going to have an Old Testament reading, about three chapters, um, a New Testament reading, about three chapters, and then a psalm and a proverb all together. So for one whole day reading, that's what you will read. Yeah, you won't have to. You won't have to flip pages to the New Testament. You won't have to flip pages to, uh, you know, psalm and proverbs. You just all together. It's about three pages. Take you fifteen minutes a day. Three pages all together, and and if you do all that through the year, you read the entire Bible three pages a day. Wow, that that's amazing. Because, yeah. I mean, so many times I've tried to do the uh, one-year Bible. Right. And, you know, it seems like you start off strong with Genesis and Exodus, and then before you know it, you're getting into Leviticus, and then it starts weighing down on you, or maybe you're in Numbers and you're going through the genealogies. I like the way this breaks it down for you got the old, the new, some Psalms, Psalm. some Proverbs, yep. 
um, and really could knock out the one-year Bible. And that's actually one of my favorite practices in devotion is to read a chapter of Proverbs a day. Right. Uh, this, with the one-year Bible, it gives you a proverb every day. It's, it's probably about four verses. But, you know, Proverbs is so rich right? that uh, I think that's, that's sufficient. A, and l- you get, a little nugget in every little bite. Exactly. Uh, yep. it's, like a, it's like a happy meal. Boom. 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 So uh, those <laughs> yeah. of our, oh, if you, if you did not order a one-year Bible, you can actually find these on Amazon.com. The one we have are the New King James one-year Bibles. They have a nice cover. Mm-hmm. Um, there mm-hmm. are some cheaper ones with paper covers or whatever. Is is that what it's called? Paper? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, it's hard, but yeah, paperback. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll go with paperback. Yeah, ours is like a leather, so it's going to yeah. last a long time, last many years. It's not going to curl up and warp up and stuff like that. I think your Bible should be one of your greatest investments. Absolutely. You know, people pay $400 for a driver in a golf bag, which you <laughs> use a few times a year, and then they're like wigging out if you pay $100 for a Bible. Um, I know my Bible that I have sitting right here. This is my preaching Bible. I think this one was $90, and the leather is strong. Um, the, the font is beautiful and readable, on and on and on. So, um, so uh, I'd like to transition to a story, and I've told you know several people over the last year or so that uh, my daughter has really wanted an American Girl doll. And I don't know if you know anything about these American Girl dolls, but they're very expensive. And uh, we, you know, me and my wife, we try not to be all into, number one, giving our kids everything they want, Um, especially things that are, you know, I won't say outlandish, but that are pretty... Expensive? Yeah, pretty expensive. Now, now how much does the doll cost? They're about $120 for a doll, but they're, they're warrantied for life. Okay. If anything ever messes up, they replace it, they they clean it, whatever, something. So, I mean, it's something, it's really cool because, you know, if you have an American Girl doll, like, you can pass it down to your, well, I know you wouldn't, but I'm saying, like, my wife. <laughs> if my wife did, yeah. you know, she could pass it down to uh, her daughter and then pass it down to her daughter. And so they're heirloom items. Right. Well, so I've told my daughter, I said, Bill, I'm not buying that stuff, you know, on and on and on. Well, she has worked for the past uh, two years, you know, selling lemonade, saving her birthday money, and she's got almost $100 now uh, for this American Girl doll. Well, um, we know that she, you know, it hasn't just been a flimsy thing. She hasn't just, like, wanted it, and then uh, it went away. I mean, she's consistently wanted it. So for Christmas, my wife and I have got her one. Now, let me throw another part of the story in there, is that um, our church has uh, challenged everyone to give $25 per person to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I sat down with Bella as she was counting out her money from her piggy bank, and I said, Bella, um, you know, everyone at church is challenged to give $25. Now, that's 25% of what she has saved. Right. And I said, you know, how much do you want to give? To Lottie Moon. She says, well, I'll give $25. So, you know, here, here's one principle, that when there is a specification, all right, we meet the specification, okay? Just like tithing in the, the Old Testament. If, if, if the law says, you know, give 8%, people give 8%, okay? But the other reason she doesn't want to give more is because she knows she's worked so hard. Now, Number one, I think it's truly a huge deal that she wants to give $25 of her own right. will in a court. But here's the other thing. We're going to give her an American Girl doll on Christmas, and she doesn't know that. Oh, wow. So then after Christmas, I'm going to ask her, you know, Bella, you have this doll. You no longer have to save up for your own, want, your own wants, your own needs. How much would you like to give? And the thing is there will be no longer a need or a reservation for the rest of it. And so she'll be able to freely give however much she wants. But here's the crazy thing, and I didn't realize this till last night I was driving home. The name of the doll that we've got, uh, the American Girl doll, is Grace. Wow. So, I mean, get this picture. Once you're a recipient of Grace... Mm-hmm then you can freely give 
without reservation. I mean, literally, I could not have planned that gospel picture any better. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking was this is a gospel picture. I mean, being presented, um, I mean, you'll be able to talk to your daughter about this for years to come yep. of showing, you know, how we're saved by grace, mm. uh, how we can be cheerful givers, that we're no longer under a standard that we have to meet towards the, like the 10% of the tithe. Right. That no, we can, we can, uh, Jesus calls us to give it all, you right. know, that when he is enough, no longer are you weighed down by something. No, you can freely give and be cheerful about it. So, perfect gospel picture. Amen. I'm excited about that. So, well, uh, I think we need to transition into some uh, good humor. We've got some uh, some fun stuff planned. But to kick this off, we're going to listen to a little, little segment from It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. Um, classic, iconic Christmas movie. And before we get into our real theology uh, doctrine for the day. We're just going to have a little fun. Um, so here is uh, it's James Stewart, right? Yep, yep. Jimmy Stewart. Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy boy. Can you give us a, a little Jimmy preemptively? Uh, let's see if I can work out a Jimmy impersonation. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm Mary. <laughs> that, that was pretty, that, <laughs> That's all I got. That was pretty good. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Sound like uh, a lamb. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets the swings. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas, Potter. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. <laughs> All right, let's see what we got here, and then that, we'll do some other Jimmy. impressions. Pretty good Jimmy there. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. This is such a great story. Except for the fact he prays to Joseph. Hey, George! Other than that, it's a great movie. George! <laughs> I thought he was praying again. You all right? Well, he's hey, praying what's to Clarence. I got out of here. Hey, I'll to I'll God. Right. Yeah. The other points he what talks to Joseph. What the hell are you yelling oh, for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Do you know, know me, you? Bert? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Do those pedals. Do the... There they are! <laughs> what do you know about that? Merry Christmas! I love this, man. He runs through well, shouting. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to Merry. everybody. Merry! He sees his old crappy yeah. car. He, uh, the joy is just uh, beaming from him. Yeah! <laughs> it's snowing. His lips busted up. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, George! Merry Christmas, movie Merry Christmas, What if the Christians ran through the streets this excited, this joyful, yelling Merry Christmas to people? I mean... You saw as he was praising God and praying to him that something has changed him from the inside out, that he's running through the streets. Well, you know what I think this is a great picture of? I think this is a great picture of what salvation should look like. It's literally a new outlook at life. Uh, you know, in, in, in this movie, he kind of has this experience where he sees what it, life would be like without him, literally if he had never lived. That's a Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. Had a boy, Clarence. <laughs> <laughs> So let's, I like the part where he's running through the town saying Merry Christmas to everything, you know. Merry Christmas, Mer movie theater. Merry Christmas, Potter. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. All right, so let's hear some impressions uh, that you can do. So we're going to do It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, man, impressions. In the character of... Um, let, me, let me try. I, 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 all right, I got one. All right. Uh, 
So now we're we just doing Merry Christmas, or we're we gonna try to do like a line from the movie. Yeah, however you want to do it. All right, I'll try that like my Merry Christmas voice uh, impersonation. Uh, see if you can pick this one up. All right. Ah uh, yes, Gotham. Merry Christmas <laughs> from Dave. <laughs> huh? That's the most. Um, what would you call unexpected? Merry Christmas message from a villain. From a villain. You know, you got Bane. I mean, you know, classic uh, Merry Christmas. That would be a great cartoon if uh, or movie if Bane, you know, became a Christian. Well, I, I would picture that. Bane running through the streets going, Ah, oh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So you think you're in charge. <laughs> All right. Um, let me give one a shot. Let me go with, uh, I'm going to do Sling Blade. Oh, a little Sling Ready? Blade. All right, Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, this is the bridge scene. You ready? Mm-hmm. Did you call me George? Mm-hmm. My lips are bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I want to live again. You know, <laughs> I can't tell if you're uh, doing an impersonation or if you got to use the restroom. It's it's one or the other. Uh, I may edit that one out. Okay. <laughs> All right. What you got next? Um, let's go with a little, uh, a little Keanu. All right, let's Everybody. do it. Hi, I'm Keanu, and I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas. Wait, that's not my line. Merry Christmas, Potter. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, that's really good. A little Keanu. What if you had a, uh, what if Harry Carey, you know who Harry Carey is, right? The, I most uh, certainly do know who uh, Harry Carey is. Chicago Cubs announcer. Yes. Classic radio voice. Yes. Uh, can you do a Harry Carey Merry Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, hold on. I got to get in character for one second. Hey! <laughs> Merry Christmas, movie theater. <laughs> I'm so happy. I could eat you, Mr. Potter. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Mary. Hey. That's all I got. <laughs> oh, that's great. I think the face is normally better than the impression. I think that's why I was laughing so much. I didn't know if you had uh, something mentally was happening to you there. <laughs> but uh, I have to go kind of like into a seizure when I do that. I, I saw that. I thought, yeah. you know, maybe we were going to have to call uh, an ambulance or uh, 911 because you were really shaking there. Hey, uh, what about um, Sylvester Stallone? All right, let's see if I can do Stallone. <clears throat> Hold on. Here's the clip. Here's the clip you got to do. You ready? Okay, okay. Okay, here's the clip. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. All right, that'd be good. I want to live Hold again. on. Hold on. This is a good one and it comes up. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George. George. You all right? Hey, what's the matter? I get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What That's the it right there. So, all right, do the part of praying and then into that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Let's see if we can. <clears throat> let's see if we can do a little Stallone there. All right. Hey, uh, yo, uh, please help me, Clarence. You know I'm, uh, I'm. Yeah, help me, Clarence. Please, Lord, help me. Uh, I'll punch you in the face, there, but I'll punch you, punch you right in the face. <laughs> 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 All right, that's great, man. I think that uh, salon needs a little work. No, nah, I work. liked it. It was a little bit of um, maybe an African American salon. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know it. Uh... Hey, yo, uh, yo, Mick, this is rough. You know what? Yeah, I like that. All right, well, um, let's talk about what we're going to discuss today. And since it is three days until Christmas, we're going to look at. The top 10, mm. at least this is our top 10, top 10, the top 10 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. So uh, do you want to start us off as we go through these and we'll, we'll list the scripture references and uh, the cool thing about this is I can edit in between as we turn there and read those. Yep. yep. So um, which one are we going to start off with? We're going to start with Psalm 2-7. All right, here's what Psalm 2-7 says. It says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance 
and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, here's how we know that this is a a psalm of the Messiah. At the beginning, uh, the introduction of Psalm 2, it says the Messiah's triumph and kingdom. So the Lord is talking to the Messiah, and he calls the Messiah my son whom is begotten. Mm. Today I have begotten you. So when we see in the New Testament the language of only begotten son, these are actually fulfillments of prophecies given hundreds of years earlier. This is not just New Testament language. And I think as Christians, we too often disconnect the New Testament from the Old Testament. Right. I mean, literally everything in the gospel is a fulfillment. And, a, and it's almost like a gospel tract for the Jewish reader to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And that's why I really like Psalm 2-7. So as gospel defenders... This would be a great opportunity not only to witness to a Jewish person to show him in the Old Testament that uh, Jesus is the anointed one. Yes. Um, so you yes. could use that for that context, and you could also use it just for your friends uh, who may be um, atheists uh, or agnostic, um, pointing that Jesus is the Savior, he's the anointed one, and then also witnessing to them uh, about God. Right. All right, let's go with another one. Psalm 212. So we're going to sit, stay in Psalm 2. Yep. Uh, the anointed one will be God's son who will be worshipped. All right. So Psalm 2, verse 12 says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Now that's interesting language hmm. that the reader is instructed to kiss the Son. You know, I do know that in the New Testament that worship is derived from falling down at someone's feet, falling before their feet, and kissing their feet, which was a behavior that you would only render to someone who was worthy of worship. Like a king? Yes. And and in this context, you know, especially in the Old Testament, we're never instructed to worship a king. But this language here says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. So this is showing us something. It's showing us that the promised Messiah is worthy of worship, that God is actually advocating that the son, the Messiah, will be rendered the same glory and honor as God is. Okay. 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 So we're getting here, we're getting here glimpses of the Trinity in the Old Testament, which is a fully Old Testament uh, concept, as we're going to see as we go through some other of these. Um, but the sun should be worshipped. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. All right, so we're right here at Christmas time. Uh, let's look at a couple uh, prophecies that point to the Messiah would come and how he would be um, he would be born and where he would be born. So the first one, let's look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. All right, here's what the Scripture says. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign... Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So several things here. Number one, it says that he will be conceived of a virgin. All right. And number two, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this is not only a picture of the Messiah coming through the lineage of a woman, and as prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, that through Eve's seed would come the one who would crush the serpent. But it's also showing that Emmanuel means God with us, that the incarnate Son will, will be in flesh, not just a human, but God in flesh. All right, well, let's, let's, let's stick on with this then. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I know this is one of your favorite places to go um, for several reasons. 
Right. I use this uh, for witnessing to, especially a Jehovah's Witness. Right. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, if uh, if you're ever defending the gospel, not only you can use this to witness to a uh, Jewish person, but you can also use this for a Jehovah's Witness when it comes to chapter 9, verse 6, um, if you want to read that for us. Yeah, let's do this. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder... And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now break that down for us, Robert. What are some of the implications of the child, the son who is given, being called these names that you can can make note of? Well, f- well first off, um, the Eternal Father. When yes. I said that we can witness to a Jehovah's Witness by this, mm-hmm. uh, in John chapter 5, verses 18 through 24, when you bring up the question, is Jesus equal to God? So one of your first questions, you, you ask this to the Jehovah's Witness, is Jesus equal to God? Now, usually their response will be no. Mm. So you're setting a foundation, and what you're doing is... Because they believe that he's a created being. Correct. Yep. Um, and there's plenty of other passages we can use, but if you're using... Mm-hmm. Isaiah 9, you can really use it with John chapter 5, mm-hmm. really going to verses 18 through 24. Um, and so when you ask them, is, is Jesus equal to the Father? Mm-hmm. Um, and another question you will ask him, is Jesus the Messiah? Because mm. what they will say is they will say Jesus is the Messiah, but he's right. not equal to the Father. Right. Well, in John chapter 5, uh, verses 18 through 24, when you get to 23 and 24, it says, if you do not honor the Son as you honor the Father then the love of the Father isn't in you, okay? Mm. So this is huge. So, meaning is if Jesus isn't equal to God, and the Scripture says to honor Him as you honor the Father, and if you don't do this, the love of Him isn't in you. Then you go to Isaiah chapter 9. You say, okay, this is huge because you said that He is the Messiah. Right. All right, the anointing one, the coming Messiah who would redeem us and save us. And they will agree on this. So when you go to Isaiah 9, chapter 6, and you get to eternal father or everlasting father, the same language used here in the Old Testament is the same language used in the New Testament for father when it's used there in John chapter 5. Mm. So the Messiah would be called everlasting father. Wow. So, so let me ask you this, Robert. How do we avoid modalism where uh, modalism states that Jesus... There, well. Modalism states a few things, that there's only one person who takes on different forms. So if, if Jesus is, is, is called everlasting Father, how do we avoid the modalism heresy that there is only one person? Well, I think you could go to Isaiah 43, I do believe, mm-hmm. when it talks about there's no gods formed before me or after me. Mm-hmm. That same language that is used in there when it's mm-hmm. talking about God is the same language that's used here in Isaiah uh, talking about the Father. Um, so let me ask you this. Is this saying that Jesus is the Father? Because in the Trinity, right. the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three and one. Uh, you preached a sermon one time, mm-hmm. and you gave a great example of when you hold three fingers up this way, mm-hmm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right. you see the three persons, but right. if you turn them to the side, mm. you see one. Right. Great illustration when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um of showing that, in the essence, that Jesus was not a created being, that He is always everlasting. He is eternal. Right. Colossians chapter 1 says that, that uh, He is before all things, and all things are held by Him and for Him, so that He may be preeminent above all things. Mm-hmm. So it's really showing, it's not showing that, that the Father and Jesus are the same person. It's really showing a title of yes. his equivalence with the place and the authority of the Father. Yes. I've read that, you know, when it says his name, it's also a title. Like when someone is called Prince, that is their title. That mm-hmm. is not their name. His name is Yeshua. Right. His name is Jesus. You know, it says his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That is his title, but his personal name was Yeshua, which means God is salvation, right? So yes. I think Isaiah 9, 6 is showing that these are titles of his equivalence 
with the everlasting Father in the place of the Trinity. He's always existed. The Son is all. The Son is mighty God. One time I quoted this uh, to a Jehovah's Witness and pointed out. It says the Son is called mighty God, and he said yes, but not all mighty God. Oh. Evidently, there was a distinction in their theology between mighty God and Almighty God. So, you know that that's that's where you have to play the the semantic game to make the scripture says something that it doesn't say. I mean, it says that the Son will be called Mighty God. There, there is no other God. Just what was the one you said? There is no God before me or after me. Where did that come from? I think it's Isaiah. 43, um, not 100%, don't quote me on that. I think um, I think you're correct. But I think it's Isaiah 43. But but while you're bringing that up, I love that you use mighty God. Right. Um, everybody knows the story of doubting Thomas. Yes. Right? Thomas doubted after the resurrection. The disciples told him, you know, we have seen the risen Lord. And he says, unless I put my hand, or unless I take my hand and touch where they pierced his hands, or touch his side where they pierced him through the side, I will not believe, right? So right. pretty much everybody knows Doubting Thomas, uh, the story. But if you go to John chapter 20, even with a Jehovah's Witness, take them to John chapter 20, and look how Thomas answers the Lord. He says in John chapter 20, starting in verse 27, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, your, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Mm, what verse is that? That's John chapter um, 20, starting in verse 27. This is uh, Jesus and Thomas, when Jesus shows up and showing himself to the disciples. And this is after Thomas has already, already said, Unless I touch his hand where they pierced it, or touch his side. Mm -hmm. Now here, Jesus is showing him, touch my hands, mm -hmm. touch my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas' response is, my Lord and my God. Mm. This is why it's so clear, the people that spent the most time with Jesus, that Thomas could no longer disbelieve because he had saw the risen Savior. And because also he would have been familiar with the Scriptures, which we're going to see in a moment, that number one, the Messiah would be pierced, but also, I know we're not going to talk about these specifically because we're talking about the birth of the Christ, the purpose of Christ, but the Messiah would not be left in the tomb. Amen. He will not allow his Holy One to see corruption, right? So we can go there in a moment if we, if we want to. But let's, um, let's go ahead and hop through the rest of these, which are, which are pretty simple. Let me just name a few. Um, Isaiah 11.1 1 shows that the Messiah will come from the house of Jesse, which is also the lineage of David. Yep. And that's why Mary and Joseph had to return back to Bethlehem because that was the uh that was the lineage of David was from Bethlehem. And David was a uh shepherd. Yep. And his descendants were shepherds. Bethlehem was a town where sheep were raised. Um a lot of these sheep would have grown up and become sacrifices for the temple, become sacrifices for Passover. Um, and so Jesus grew up in the midst of this shepherding town, uh, which was from the, uh, the lineage of David, also the house of Jesse. And you know what's amazing to me? When you, when you think about that and you break down coming from Bethlehem um, and you think of sheep and the lambs that would be slain, mm -hmm. uh, Jesus being referred to as the Lamb of God, yes, the one who takes away the sin of the world. Um, so to me, that that always stands out mm -hmm. when you read that story, and just like how you read from Luke chapter two, verses eleven through fourteen, shows here in the Old Testament this is what would be prophesied in the town of David, mm -hmm. um, and then we see that in the New Testament that Luke, uh, who went around getting the uh, gospel accounts from eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm paints his picture showing that Jesus fulfills the, the prophecy. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, I got one. All right. Uh, speaking of when we talked about piercings and stuff like that. Which Thomas would have known. Which Thomas would have known. Yep. Uh, we can go to Isaiah 53. We've got to read this. So you turn to Isaiah 53. Yeah. Um, so what we've covered today is Psalm 2. Yep. Showing the anointed one. The uh, begotten. 
the begotten. We've looked at Isaiah chapter 7 um, about the birth, being born of a virgin. We looked at Isaiah 9 where it showed uh, everlasting father, prince of peace, wonderful counselor. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these names and titles that were given to Jesus showing that he fulfills all these. And now we're getting into uh, Isaiah, which is going to show the Messiah, mm. the Redeemer. You know, the when you think of redeemed, it's gaining or a possession uh, with a payment. So you're redeeming mm. something. You're, you're you're gaining this uh, something that needs to be reconciled. Mm-hmm. And so the kinsman redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. There yep. you go. So Isaiah mm. chapter fifty three. Fifty three. I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to start in verse four. Now, three of our prophecies that we're kind of going to cover are verse five. He will be pierced. Verse seven, led willingly to death. And then also verse 9, which shows that not only does he die among sinners, but he has a grave among the rich. So I'm going to read, just for context, verses 4 onward. But there's three specific prophecies back to back to back. Um, all right, verse 4, Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. I mean, that whole verse 5 is a picture of the crucifixion, a picture of all the wrath that he endured, all the way from the whipping with the cat of nine tails to... Uh, the the being hung on the cross, the crown of thorns, the stripes on his back. Verse six: uh, All we like sheep have gone astray; we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Clear picture of the atonement, like you yep. said. All right, the clear picture of God the, being poured out. Yes, and here's here's uh, verse seven is one of our key prophecies that he was led willingly; he he wasn't forced. He willingly went. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And I'm going to end with verse 9. They made his grave with the wicked. That means he died in the midst of sinners. But with the rich at his death. He was laid into a borrowed tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, uh, and if you owned a tomb at that time, you had wealth, right. you had money. So um, those are some back-to-back prophecies from Isaiah 53. Very briefly, I'm going to touch on uh, Micah 5.2, which is another clear prophecy. It says, the Messiah will come from Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, Robert, I don't know if you know this or not, or if our listeners know this or not. There is two Bethlehems. In the uh, the 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 ancient uh, area of the the biblical record, there's Bethlehem Ephrathah, which was uh, about seventy miles from Nazareth, meaning that um, Mary and Joseph would have ridden on a donkey. Joseph would have walked for seventy miles. Oh wow! Basically, if you and I left here and walked by foot to uh, like, I mean, even beyond downtown Charlotte. Oh, it'd be like going to Carowinds and then coming back. Yes. Um, that's about a 35-mile difference Each to way. there. And then coming back, that would equal about 70 miles. And she did that on a donkey. He did that on foot. But there was a Bethlehem Ephrathah, which was about 70 miles from Nazareth. And then there was another Bethlehem, which was more close towards uh, Galilee. But the scripture specifically states that he will come from Bethlehem Ephrathah because that is the uh, the house and lineage of David, the lineage of Jesse, right from there. The last place we're going to look at, and we'll read this together, Robert, if you will turn there with me, is uh, Daniel chapter 9. Now, this place is probably somewhat controversial, but uh, we're going to see the clear nature with which it points to the work of the Messiah. And here's what it said. Daniel 9, verse 26, says that the Messiah, which is Hebrew, Mashiach, will be revealed before the second temple is destroyed. And we don't have enough time to go into all of this because we're already 
going pretty good amount of time today. But I'm going to read this, Robert, and then me and you are going to discuss it. Uh, let's 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 start in verse 25 because it shows us that there will be a command to rebuild Jerusalem, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then it will be destroyed again. Okay. So this is going to be talking about the second temple because the first temple, um, it's it's not talking about rebuilding the first temple because that's the initial rebuilding. Right. right. And at the time period which Daniel was written, when he says. Uh, verse 25, uh, know therefore and understand that from the command going forth uh, to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince. So until the command to restore and rebuild, that means the second temple, until the Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And if you know anything about the uh, geography in the history of Jerusalem during that time, it was troublesome times. That's right. So here's verse 26. So after the 62 weeks, that means after the command to rebuild, after um, the Messiah, the prince, it says Messiah shall be cut off. Now, in the Hebrew context, this is not talking about several thousand years down the road. This is talking about the anointed one coming. Okay. The yep. promised Messiah. Everyone interprets Daniel chapter 9 in eschatology, end times. That's not how the Hebrew reader would have understood this. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. All right. So here's what this tells us. This tells us that after the Messiah, the city and the sanctuary will be destroyed. What year did Jesus Christ uh, die on the cross? This would have been roughly 33, 34 A.D.? Yep, somewhere around that and time. after the Messiah, 70 A.D., the temple and the city of Jerusalem were destroyed. This is a fulfillment of Daniel 9, 26. The Messiah was revealed, Mashiach, and then... Uh, just several years later, about 35, 36 years later, the temple, the city were destroyed. By this is the what, Roman Empire. Yes. This is what the scripture was telling them. The we, Messiah will come, and then the sanctuary will be destroyed. I don't know how it can't get more clear cut than this. Well, and it goes back to who Jesus was speaking to um, during that time. He said, this generation surely will not pass until they see this coming of the temple being destroyed. He said that there will not be a stone upon another that will be left. Right. Um, and so he was talking to that generation. We see that that prophecy was fulfilled. Like you said, less than 40 years later, the temple was destroyed. Right. And and I have read, I have heard, that the day of the Lord refers to the wrath uh, that would be poured out in fulfillment of the judgments prophesied in the Old Testament. So when the day of the Lord comes, right, I'm talking about an Old Testament concept. The day of the Lord means the wrath fulfilling the promises in the Old Testament. Mm. We can get into that into a later section. But here's our proof today that Daniel chapter 9 shows that the Messiah would come and then the sanctuary would be destroyed, the temple would be destroyed. That occurred in 33 A.D., in 70 A.D. You know, this is a uh, great episode. Really, it is a Christmas episode when you think about all the prophecies because, you know what, the babe was born, and he was born just as the Scripture said he would come. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would also be crucified just as the Scripture said he would be crucified, and he would also be raised just as the Scripture said he would be raised. And so everything, this Christmas season, this Christmas celebration that we have, all points to what the Scripture's already said. And so... uh, one of my songs during the uh, Christmas season is Noel. It's not the older version. This is a newer version of uh, Noel. But the word is, um, it means a joyful like proclamation of Christmas, like mm-hmm. the first Christmas that you, you shout Christmas with such joy. Mm. And when we can look back through the scriptures, we should have that same joy that when uh, George was running through the streets saying, Merry Christmas, Merry right. Christmas, everyone. You know, that's Merry the- Christmas, Bedford Falls! <laughs> uh, 
But that same joy that he had, we should have that. Running right. through the streets, telling people of the Savior, the anointed one, the one who has come and redeemed right. uh, people. So I know we usually go with a worship song as we end. Yeah, so what, should wanna, we, uh, what should we look up here? Why don't you pull up uh, Lauren, I hope I say her last name right, Daigle? Yep. What's the song? Uh, it's going to be Noel. I would go with the one right here. This one? Yep. And just listen to these lyrics, these uh, first few lyrics. All right, Gospel Defenders, we're signing off. Enjoy this worship song. Merry Christmas. Star and angels gave the shine. Bow to babe on bended knee. The Savior of humanity. Unto us a child is born. He shall reign Shout